Hi, this is John Curry. Welcome to our podcast today. I'm sitting across the table here with my good friend and personal physician, Bill Kepler. Bill, thank you for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. I have known you for over 40 years. You've been my personal physician all these years. Uh, My wife introduced us, in fact, before we ever got married, and we started working with you. And you've been a client of mine for, I don't know how long, maybe the same length of time. So we have a professional relationship, but I have to tell you folks, we have a personal relationship because I consider Dr. Bill Kepper to be not only a great physician, but a good friend, a counselor, and a good confidant. And Bill, what I want to do today is focus on a theme called health and wealth. People are so worried about their money, worried about the stock market, could take the money away, uh, how do I save more money? Financial advisors tell them maximize your 401k. And my position is, after 43 years of doing this, it's nice to have the wealth, but I'm seeing a lot of clients who don't have good health when they retire, and they're not going to get to enjoy that money very long. So I want us to talk a little bit about health issues, but I would like you to start, please just tell us your background and why in the world you decided to become a medical doctor. Well, I grew up in the suburbs of New Orleans out by Lake Pontchartrain uh, in a family of three being the caboose in that family. <clears throat> mom and dad, uh, attorney, dad and mom, well, somewhat of a local socialite with all of her old Newcomb buddy friends and housewife, uh, homemaker. Um, she had joined lots of different clubs. She enjoyed fairly idyllic lifestyle in a brick, one-story, three-bedroom house, um, and had family, same last name, in New Orleans, though my mom was a Yankee from Shreveport, Louisiana. <laughs> the Yankee. <clears throat> so after having uh, gone through uh, high school in at a private school in New Orleans called Ecole Classique, where I was forced to learn rat- Latin and French, um, Decided to go into pre-med curriculum at LSU, so went north for college, um, north and a little bit west. Uh, met my wife on a blind date, this first football uh, game blind date between fraternity and sorority uh, in 1968 on October 5th. Um, did not know she was going to be my wife, but I was hoping from that date on that that might happen. Wow. So you knew right away. Well, she liked me, and that was kind of unusual. (laughs) (laughs) I was a bit of a nerd back then. I might still be a bit of a nerd, but nobody has the guts to tell me. (laughs) They're afraid you might give them the wrong prescription. (laughs) Uh, Or the wrong exam. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. Talk a little bit about your experience as a medical doctor. You've been practicing how long? 40 years? 42? Well, it depends on whether you count what I did in residency in 1976, started the residency program, got my Florida license a year after my first PGY-1, first postgraduate year one. Um, So I started practice in 77 with a license, but 79 had my own private practice. Uh, That continued to thrive for a long period of years such that in the early 90s, uh, mid-90s, we were uh, decided to band together against the um, powers of the hospitals and the insurance companies to form an organization called Tallahassee Primate Care Associates um, to 
primarily family doctors and pediatricians. We later added specialists to our group, and I enjoyed being a member of that organization up until 2014 when I retired to go from that organization to go work at Southwood with Hospital Corporation of America, um, CRMC, um, medical clinic. And now you're fully retired. Fully retired as of August 31st. August 31st, just last year. Last year. So we'll come back around to the healthcare issues in a moment. But from your perspective of being, because I've known you personally all these years, you've worked very hard. You you didn't just spend five minutes with a patient and run them out. You worked long hours. You loved what you you did for a living. It wasn't just work for you. It was a calling. Mm-hmm. How have you adjusted to this thing called retirement? It's interesting because I could honestly say that the first couple of months of retirement felt like an extended vacation. Um, Hunting season ensued, as it usually does in the wintertime, and I enjoyed spending more time in the woods than I had been able to for the last several years. Um, But now it's seeming like uh, a little bit of Planning on my part for activity would be helpful, though I do have to recognize those plans are subject to change based on Bill being married to that sweetheart I met in 1968. (laughs) So what are you trying to say? That uh, Sharon has her own views about what to do? Sharon has her schedule about what she wants to do, and I should should understand that I will be needing to work around that schedule. So it sounds to me like that you went from having one boss in the work side to now you got a full-time boss on the home front. Well, yeah, and I've always had a full-time <laughs> boss on the home front. I just wasn't home as often <laughs> as I am now. Uh, so let's talk about that for a second. Do you find, or did you find initially anyway, that it took some adjusting because you did work such long hours and then finally you're at home? Did you find there was any type of um, stress going on there? Well, it was interesting because about the same time I was retiring, I was seeing my pulmonologist who was confirming the fears that many of uh, my primary care doctor and cardiologist thought I might have uh, developed sleep apnea. And so the, the adjustment was getting used to a sleep apnea machine, mm-hmm. um, CPAP, autopap, which was not at all difficult. And I began sleeping much better, dreaming um Really interesting dreams, and then waking up to the same, disappointed every day is the same day. <laughs> that sounds like that uh, maybe Groundhog Day, mm-hmm. just a little bit in there to me. What are some of the issues that you noticed as a doctor treating your patients that prevented people from truly enjoying their day-to-day life and maybe even would hurt them going into retirement years? Well, over the years, and I lived through, I think, a fairly marvelous period of innovation in medicine. When I first started in medicine, there was very few open-heart surgeries being done in only certain selected centers of the world. The Charity Hospital that was associated with Tulane Med School, they had not done any uh, coronary bypass surgeries while I was in med school there. They were doing them down the road at Oshner Clinic, but they were not doing them at Charity Hospital. Um, valvular surgeries were being done, you know, on a regular basis, but Cleveland Clinic and uh, some of the folks there were majorly involved in helping to restore lives after coronary artery disease happened. Um, we, we went through a period where we evolved 
a whole lot of very effective treatments for hypertension. So I saw a reduction in significantly in the people uh, who were under medical care not getting nearly as many strokes as they had been getting percentage-wise, um, not having the younger age strokes as nearly as often that would take people out of a period of vitality uh, or early retirement. And then coronary artery disease started taking a significant hit with um, good medications to adequately control the cholesterol levels. This presupposed that the patients would actually go to the doctor, get diagnosed, take the medication, and continue to take the medication if they were going to get the benefits of the changes in medicine during that time. Well, <clears throat> I can speak to that personally because I had open heart surgery triple bypass to be exact, in July, July 10, 2008. And I can't remember how many times I complained about the medications that you had me taking. And you explained to me in a very nice manner, look, these are important for these reasons. You can, because I started working on my diet, my exercise, you're taking these things seriously. But I can see where it would be very easy once you made improvements to think, I don't need that medication anymore. Because I'm the kind of person, I don't even take an aspirin. But, but John, you're the kind of person who will get 100%, 110% into a self-rehab program and think that that's going to solve the problem. True. <laughs> and True. Sometimes it does. Right. Well, it's made a big difference. Yeah. About it. It's made percentages of difference for you, but the difference is you don't have to compartmentalize one or the other. You can combine both. Absolutely. And that was, that was the takeaway for me, that you need to do everything you can do yourself eating right, exercise, relaxing, not being so stressed out, but take advantage of modern technology and modern, especially medical technology, and use the pills and the treatments that are available to improve yourself. And that's really what you just described, isn't it, is taking advantage of the technology. Yeah, and in doing so, you make your doctor look good. <laughs> I like that, especially if you follow directions, right? You're still here. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, I'm still here, still here. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the future of uh, healthcare in our country. People are concerned about that. The costs are going up and up. Uh, all of the stuff, you know, about so-called Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, people, some people love it, some hate it. Uh, to the extent you're willing to talk about your profession a little bit in this sense, how do you feel about it? I mean, is it good care, bad care as a whole? What, what's, what are you, what's your view as a retired physician? Well... Let me preface what I'm going to say or maybe change the response a little bit. Our conversations recently have been more not about the effectiveness or lack of effectiveness of healthcare, but the availability of healthcare and the financing of healthcare. Okay. And when people start getting on TV and start talking about healthcare, they're talking about how to pay for it and who's going to have access to it and who's going to pay for those folks' access to it. So um, during the Obamacare origination and thought processes, that's what the whole question was to be resolved. Um, I think that medical care, as far as capacity to develop new and novel therapies, has gone on pretty much unabated. Every one of those has come out extraordinarily more expensive than we hoped they would. And they stay expensive because Big Pharma requires a whole lot of money to run its engine. Um, does Big Pharma our friend? The answer is 
I think on an individual basis, Big Pharma's our friend, but on the standpoint of what Big Pharma has done to our economy, it has separated us into a group of haves and have-nots. I have an insurance policy that allow me to pay for a $300 a month medication, or I don't have an insurance policy that will allow me to pay for a $300 a month medication. And I understand that that creates sometimes vital differences in outcomes. Yes. <clears throat> you said something very interesting there that caught my ear. So the quality of the care is there. And that's not really a question, I, th- I don't think, in this country because of the people in your profession are caring individuals. So it comes down to affordability. Can I afford the care while I'm working, but especially is causing a lot of angst when people retire? Because I'll tell you, when we're meeting with clients, either number one or two, sometimes I'll switch to order, is I'm worried about cost of health care, and I'm worried about running out of money, in other words, losing income. And they'll flip-flop. Some will be number one, some will be number two. But we're seeing that those are the primary concerns. How do I pay for my health insurance and retirement, my health care rather? And will I run out of money? Will I spend all the money I have in my retirement accounts and be broke? Mm-hmm. And you look at that, and as a retirement planner, we have to help find ways so people can finance that care. And it's becoming more and more difficult. We see people, Bill, who are paying more for prescriptions each month out of pocket than they paid for a mortgage payment. That's insane. Yep. Yep. And I don't know what the answer is. I'm certainly not a politician, so I don't know what the answer is. I'm not an economist, but I look at that, and, and as a planner, I don't want to just talk about people investing money or having life insurance. How can I help them have a better quality of life today while they're working, but especially in retirement? Because this is something I've been doing for 43 years. I hope to do it for another 20 or 30, well, as long as I live. I keep telling people, I'm be like George Burns and live to be 100 years old and keep on working. But on my terms, don't get me wrong, I don't want to work every day, and I don't work every day, but I want to have fun. Sure, Gracie. Okay. (laughs) I don't think he's buying that. Okay. All right. Talk a little bit about um, the biggest issues you think hurt us from the standpoint of enjoying our life. Is it high blood pressure, hypertension? What is it? What are the things that you think based on what you've experienced, or the things that are getting to us? I think probably overcommitment to things that may or may not have value is the biggest stuff that gets to us. As far as health care concerns, you know, we've done a pretty good job of reducing stroke. We've done a fair job of reducing cardiovascular disease in general in those people who are under treatment. Um, the hypertension has reduced the likelihood of rupture of aneurysms as well as having blockages in major arteries that supply uh, organs that we cannot afford to damage without loss of capacity. Uh, so, you know, that's pretty good. We're still having a major uh, battle with trying to, trying to find out where the genesis of cancer is and how we can do something to stop that uh, in its tracks before it gets started, or preferably early recognition and, and effective treatment for that, because a lot of cancer remedies are still pretty hard to deal with and leave us with loss of function at times. What are the things you think we should be doing as individuals 
to give ourselves the best chance of having a long life. Wear your seatbelt. <laughs> okay. Quit smoking. Okay. I wasn't expecting those. <laughs> avoid, well, That's good. people die of those things. Yeah. Um, avoid large crowds of people during the wintertime so you don't get the flu. Um, airports. <laughs> stay away. <laughs> stay away or bring your hand cleanser or wear gloves, you know, the, the types of things that we can do for preventive. Uh, and, you know, gone are the days, I guess, hopefully, where we worry about on a daily basis, thermonuclear attack. Um, still remember diving underneath desk, and yeah. I realized that was a ridiculous posture to die in. <laughs> yes, but, uh, I remember that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis was not as big in New Orleans as it was in Florida, but it was big enough to, to make an impact on us. Uh, but I, th I think, you know, living with consistency in your life habits, um, not jumping after everything that's on certain TV shows that uh, maybe, maybe or maybe not run by a knowledgeable doctor, Talk a little bit about the things that we can do from a fitness and nutrition focus. Is there too much emphasis on that, or is it truly well, that's just the way I am? That's the way God made me. Okay, so you're asking me to say, what should I do, not what do I do? <laughs> okay, well, your words, not mine. <laughs> having, having been able to get off the rat race, the um, treadmill of work, I've been able to enjoy much more recreational time. And I'm the type of person that will not go to a gym and exercise because that looks like work. But I will go out and walk the dog. I will go out and decide to park a little bit farther away from the hunting stand so that I get to carry my equipment in or closer and maybe increase my you know, chance of being successful. Uh, I will... Be that person who doesn't mind the fact that the self-propelled portion of my old lawnmower is broken. So I have to actually push the thing because I think there's value in that. So getting physical activity rather than exercise, I'd like to say, because to me it makes more sense. Mm -hmm. um, it's getting closer to that time of the year where you can smell the cut grass. And when I finish cutting my half acre yard which has got a house on it so it's not a whole half acre um, it gives me a sense of accomplishment I know I've done something in a way my own little cardiac stress test to prove that I can still have the capacity to enjoy life I enjoy fishing I'd rather fish from a kayak than I would a sailboat there's too much work to the sailboat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I can catch more fish with a kayak. I love my kayak. <laughs> so, um, plus there's some exercise associated with that. As long as you don't hurt your back by getting it off the top of the car. Right. So, um, but keeping yourself reasonably trim and fit is, is good things. And, and some centering type of things where you expand your knowledge as well as your capacity, physical capacity. Uh, read a good book. Uh, find something worthwhile to do for the sake of others and volunteerism, those sorts of things that add value. And I think years to life. Many, many years ago, I was reading in what we call a throwaway journal, which is one that has more drug ads and, and <clears throat> fewer you know, well thought out articles. But there was an article uh, written about the benefits of jogging. And 
this person who was in Scandinavia somewhere had done this extensive study about how much longer people live if they have the active lifestyle of, of running on a regular basis. And it was a roughly equivalent to the amount of time they spent running. So I got from that, wow. if you like to run, Go good, run. you'll live longer doing what you like to do. Right. And if you find it onerous and didn't you live longer finding doing something onerous. So a lot of my choices are with activity um, other than exercise, doing something I enjoy doing. And I, I agree totally. I happen to go to the gym three days a week, but I, I enjoy walking. And I take long walks. I mean, sometimes like an hour. Mm -hmm. Go in a park, enjoy the, being outside. Sometimes at the hunting camp. Even during uh, non-hunting season, go out mm -hmm. and just walk. Mm -hmm. and that's the best time to get out and walk, non-hunting season. That's right. Otherwise, you might get shot. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah, there goes a big old deer. Let's get him. But it, but what it does for me, it not only gives me the physical activity, but it also works on the brain, mm -hmm. letting the brain decompress some. And I'm I'm reading more and more things that say that the key to being having an active life in retirement, in your 70s, 80s, and 90s. Our oldest client's 100 years old. Excuse me, just turned 101, I think. And she's very alert. She reads, she studies. So let's talk a little bit about the importance of exercising the brain, too, not just the body. So what does medical science tell us about that? Medical science would say that that's one of the better things you can do to prevent Alzheimer's is stay engaged in problem-solving type of activities, puzzles, uh, those sorts of things, reading about new ideas, perhaps even learning a foreign language, though I don't know that uh, it's necessary now that I've gotten English and redneck and Cajun and all those <laughs> things thrown at me, uh, along with a matter of French. So, uh, but it, it, to me, <laughs> redneck. The, the, the key issue is you know, with me and my wife, my wife will, will often ask me what I'm thinking, and I'll often not be aware that I'm thinking about anything in particular, but I'm just, you know, letting my mind wander when I'm out there in the woods or doing something like that. I find it very beneficial for me and hopefully for others that, that at times when I catch myself doing that, I'd say, how could I better be putting my mind in use? I will spend some time in prayer. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, that's centering because it, it helps me to connect with the God who I think created me and the God who I think has called me to come live with him for an eternity. Very good. Talk a little bit about some of the things that you've done since you brought up your faith there. You have done a lot of work over the years on different missions. And I know one of those was the trips to Haiti. Would you talk a little bit about what you've done as far as I know sometimes you don't like talking about it, but just to the extent that you're willing to share, just a little bit of some of the things you've done, because there's more to life than just work, work, work. Well, I mean, <clears throat> some of the best part of work, and John, you may recognize this too, because you've been involved in volunteerism with honor flights and that sort of stuff, is what you give of your capacity to people who can't possibly repay you. Yes. And so what Haiti, which is, you know, one of the times I reflect back most is on the original 9-11. I was starting the first day of clinic at a short-term mission project in Haiti in a village that I'd been to several times previously. 
I, I never knew that. The, so you were there the, when the attack occurred. Yeah, somewhere around ten o'clock in the morning, we were in the midst of seeing our you know twentieth or thirtieth patient, and <clears throat> in the clinic building, and our pastor who came by with new technology for us at the time, uh, cell phone said the United States is under attack, and of course incredulity, incredulity, excuse me was the first emotion I had. No, there's no way. The United States couldn't be under attack. We've got too many satellites. We've got to get too many things covered. The attack came from within. Mm-hmm. And we found out as much as we could out there. And so I gathered the people together that were volunteers at the clinic. We had nurses and lab techs and, and just plain volunteers to help us with the pharmacy and that sort of stuff. And I don't remember which other doctor was there. And I said, guys... We have just heard some terrible news about the United States under attack. We won't be able to find out more about that till we get back to our compound tonight where we can turn on you know, a cable news network and see more about it. But we've got a clinic to run. So let's have a period of prayer and reflection on what might be going on for our loved ones back home in the United States, knowing that we're here for a purpose and a reason and we need to accomplish that purpose and reason. Um, turned out the end of the week... Um, after a lot of prayer and my concern that I might have to buy um, um, Haitian schooner that they use for bringing food, substances, et cetera, from north part of the country down to the south and back and navigate my way back to the United States, we were able to board an airplane <laughs> and get our trip back. A few hours too late to make you know, constant, but I think we were one of the first flights into Miami that Sunday uh, afternoon to come back to the United States. Um, that was a weird time to be in Haiti when all of this stuff was going down and all their planes were shut down, that sort of stuff. Didn't stop me from going. It just, it just made me think about, you know, who's in charge and who has to respond to that person in charge with faith in order to be able to um, continue to do what you do. You know, I, the first time I went to Haiti, I was afraid that I might not come back. That fear had disappeared by the time that 9-11 happened, but it came back pretty quick. Yes. <laughs> and as being responsible for the care of the <clears throat> other people that I went, I didn't share that responsibility by myself. Right. You know, somebody else was guiding the trip to, and, and that that person was the one that compelled me to go to begin with. What are you doing now in retirement, or what will you be doing since you have all the extra time uh, on your hands? What does retirement look like going forward? Say, just just look out, say, five years. I think I plan on traveling, putting some of that money that you helped me save up over a period of time to good use, good. and seeing part in, of the, enjoy it while part, you can. Part of the world where you know I haven't seen both both known traveling our nation as well as maybe international travel. My wife had not ever flown before we got married and we flew to Jamaica for our honeymoon. So, um, but she's flown since then and she doesn't mind the experience too bad, too much. Uh, we were fortunate to have a son who competed in international rowing and got to see parts of Europe and parts of Asia and South America as a part of uh, following him around as, as crew parents. So that was great for travel. But since he's retired from that, we now have our own, need to have our own impetus to 
get us out of Tallahassee and move out and see some things. Very good. Very good. You mentioned hunting earlier. How important do you think it is when people come to this thing called retirement that they have hobbies, interests to keep them busy in retirement? Or have you been retired long enough yet to know? I think it adds value to what you can do is having a set point in time where you're going to go out and do something you enjoy. If you haven't figured out what you like yet, you need to start figuring that out so that you can say, I might want to be working with um, paint glass. I might want to, you know, take up golf. Oh, Lord help you. And, <laughs> you know, if more people were satisfied with their golf score at the end of their golf game, I might have thought about taking it up. But for the most part, they're a bunch of unhappy folks. Right. Angry and <laughs> yeah. slapping a little ball around the yeah, pasture. Yeah, they I'm didn't do as well as they wanted to do. <laughs> so I've gone fishing and never brought home any fish. Not very often, but on occasion. But I still had a good time fishing. So, um, and, and but <laughs> you to me, hunting and fishing are those things. They have, they have value because it gets you out of the rat race to a certain extent. Yes, it costs a little bit of money, but I think the money is well spent. I think you could buy fish almost as fresh as I get to bring home <laughs> and, and cook them up, and they might taste pretty much similar, but there is some degree of, of benefit. I don't know, maybe going back to the caveman times, of hunter-gatherer, taking home, bringing home the uh, at least the main course um, so you can enjoy your vegetables even more. Absolutely. I started deer hunting again this year with my brother, my son, and my grandson. And I quit for years, wouldn't do it. And I did it because of them. And some of the best time has been just sitting around the campfire, just grilling some meat on the grill. Sometimes it was chilly and just talking. Just having, just having a good time and just being with the family. I didn't care if I shot a deer or not. In fact, I had an opportunity to kill several. I didn't even do it. Didn't even shoot one. Everybody else did. They said, why didn't you shoot a deer? I said, I was just enjoying sitting there and relaxing. Cold at times. But I had not done that in 10 years. Mm -hmm. I did other things. But to me, it's gone back full circle to where I enjoy doing that because it gets me outside. Like I said, walking to the stand, park the truck down the road, walk further. I get my exercise, get outside, closer to God. It's just great. You either get to see the day begin or the day end. Or both. You know, from an elevated position, that's not a bad thing. I agree totally. I agree. But you're right about the. It's, it's very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. We're getting close to the end here to, to kind of wind down. What suggestions or advice would you offer to anyone who's listening to this from the standpoint of this theme about health and wealth. You, you're working so hard to make money because you got you got to have a job, pay the bills, trying to save for retirement. But how would you tie, what advice would you offer to tie the importance of taking care of your health now and a plan of action at the end when you go into retirement to, to be able to, to truly enjoy your wealth? What would you say? Good question. But we all know the story about pro football players who have extraordinarily good health through high school and college, maybe a few surgeries, do carpentry work on them, and yet because of the series of concussions that they might have had or something like that, don't get to experience a full senior life. Correct. And I think it's it's thereby good to put on your helmet, even if you're not a football player, of protection 
But when you ride a bike, you wear a helmet. When you, you know, go rollerblading, maybe you wear all those guards that I had on when I fell down on Harriman Circle one day and <laughs> hurt my pride. But that was about it. Um, the and I never put the rollerblades back on again either. <laughs> I'm not going to. So you were braver than I because I'm not going to put rollerblades on my feet or roller skates either. I had a friend that did it and he loved it, and I thought, well, see. You know this about guys. Guys will buy sporting equipment, which will then encourage them to use the sporting equipment because they don't want to pay for something and not use it. Right. And then they'll go out and try a sport, you know, vis-a-vis all the people with golf clubs. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, there's a little bit of that in me. But I think keeping yourself physically healthy is a lot easier than reclaiming health after you've already lost a, a crucial function. So by being cautious and, like I said, you use, use reason in which you try to do things. Don't go out and try to run a marathon without training for it. Don't necessarily think that everybody has to run a marathon. I remember you know, in my running career, which you know, I cut short on purpose, sort of like Forrest Gump, but way before he did, um, I ran a, a 15K one time. And I said, that's pretty much what I want to do is run a 15K. But I didn't want to run a second 15K because I had other things to do. Right. But at least you tried it. Yeah. That, and that's a good good place to uh, come to a close here. How important is it to try new things instead of just saying, hey, this is the way it is. I'm not going to change. Well, there is that ropes course down there at Tallahassee Museum. Yes. <laughs> and I thought about going down there and trying that. So it is fun. I've done it. Yeah, oh, and I know I know a person who was a principal in designing it and putting it up. That's Dr. Van Sickle's son, Lucas. So uh, yeah, I'm going to do that. But I think it's important to try new things, to challenge yourself, not to get caught up in the humdrum of the usual and they always um, and um, go somewhere that you are intrigued with that's not particularly dangerous. Whether it be going to those arts, because you've seen both other mountain ranges in the United States, but you haven't been to those arts yet. You might find a diamond there. Something like that. Very good. So just get out and do something different. Mm-hmm. Do something different. Well, my friend, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story. It's been a pleasure sitting here with you. And likewise. Thanks, Bill. If you would like to know more about John Curry Services, you can request a complimentary information package by visiting johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Again, that is johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Or you can call his office at 850-562-3000. Again, that is 850-562-3000. John H. Curry. Chartered Life Underwriter, Chartered Financial Consultant, Accredited Estate Planner, Master's in Science and Financial Services, Certified in Long-Term Care, Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Securities, products, and services and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Financial Representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly-owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial Corporation is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities. Park Avenue Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. This material is intended for general public use 
By providing this material, we are not undertaking to provide investment advice for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact one of our financial professionals for guidance and information specific to your individual situation. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, or employees do not provide legal, tax, or accounting advice. Please consult with your attorney, accountant, and or tax advisor for advice concerning your particular circumstances, not affiliated with the Florida Retirement System. The Living Balance Sheet and the Living Balance Sheet logo are registered service marks of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Copyright 2005 through 2018. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities or Guardian and opinions stated are their own.